0: Alrighty, hello, Steve. I really, I really, really happy to be here and be as a interviewer for uh, the the podcast called uh, Local Music Heroes. So, and you, (laughs) one of them, the huge. You make a huge impact on me um, as a like um, as a mentor, you know, for like for life and for music as well. And it's I'm so excited about what what's gonna happen today (laughs) and all your stories and. Straight. I want to go straight in there. And um, so I want to ask you com- some questions about the songwriting stuff. So I know you like wrote like hundreds of songs and uh, a lot. A lo- yeah, like <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. So I'm really uh, interested. So wh- when do you start uh, writing music? Why do you start writing music and how it's changed over the years and kind of your journey and song- songwriting?
1: The most frustrating answer to that question is the only one I can give I don't know <laughs> um it it's it's different for different songs and um i just i just the last couple of days have been writing a song that I honestly don't remember where it came from a couple of days ago why it started up but um Has evolved into something that that wasn't what I thought I was doing, but looks like it might actually open up a whole new way of doing certain kinds of fusion. I like fusing styles. I I I probably started the first time I wrote a song. I was fourteen, but I probably started really thinking along those lines when I was about four. And um, I've just been realizing this recently as I've gone over my 66 years of, of being around that um, I was hugely into Latin music and into fusion before I went to grade school. And it's because in the 50s, Car- Latin Caribbean music was a big thing in the U.S. and it was on TV a lot. And I'm the TV generation, and I'm a musician. <laughs> so <laughs> I was hearing um, I was listening just at home on TV and the few records that my parents had. I was listening to um, you know, uh, I know these aren't names you know because of you're not from around here, but you're I will ordering. learn later right away. but uh, Celia Cruz was the queen of, of Cuban jazz, and she had this huge. Bigger than life, voice. Everything about her was just bigger than life, and I was just mesmerized by her. I, you know, if she was on TV and I was in earshot, I had to go and, and see what was going on. Um, Harry Belafonte was a calypso singer who um, made a very popular genre of music for not, it wasn't popular for a really long time, but Harry Belafonte became a really important part of American entertainment and even politics. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, uh, people, my parents listened to people like Nat King Cole, Mm -hmm. um, and Andy Williams, people that were really just great singers. And of course, Nat King Cole, one of the best composers of the 20th century, um, I just I got to just have that in the air at home and um, so I was always singing whatever it was I heard and then I I'm the Beatles generation and I was the perfect age I was ten years old when the Beatles came to the United States and I went crazy for the harmony because I grew up in a family that sings harmony
0: by the way it's oh. Also, I want to talk about that part because I know you grew up in a, like a family in that like that small city when they have all of them like harmonize and sing as like a as, like a common thing. And then when you so can you tell about that? stuff? Yeah,
1: yeah. I grew up in Corvallis, Oregon, and Corvallis. Um, ha- I didn't know this when I was a kid, but we had a few teachers in the school district who were on their way be, to becoming some of the, the most outstanding choral uh, arrangers and conductors, jazz contest judges at, on a world level. Mm-hmm. And these were the people that were my teachers. And in the case of one a woman named Joyce Eilers, she was a family friend. She'd stayed at her house. She was, um, she was just, you know, we went to the same church. When I was in ninth grade, Joyce was uh, directing the adult choir at the church because the director was on sabbatical, and Joyce came to me and said, I need tenors in the choir, so I want you to come and sing. And I said, well, Joyce, first of all, I'm not old enough. I have to be in high school, and I'm not. And, And second of all, I'm a bass, not a tenor. And she said, well, honey, she's from Oklahoma, so from the south, honey, (laughs) <laughs> I know you think you're a bass, but what's the highest note you can sing? And I proudly told her I could sing the highest note in Eleanor Rigby, a Beatles song, which is a high A. And she said, that makes you a tenor. And I'm the director, so I say how old you have to be. <laughs> and it was the best thing that could happen because the my teacher in school, I didn't realize until just a, a few months ago, was also on his way to becoming a one of the outstanding choral directors in the country. And I was getting him when he was young. And I knew Joyce when she was young. And they uh, taught me how to sing, which was really funny because it made me not popular with, with rock bands because I knew how to sing. <laughs> 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 and, and it didn't sound right to them for some reason. But um, I I learned... So much from from them um, just in in like an afternoon because they had so much to give, and I was like this little sponge when it came to, to music. I didn't understand music theory. I still don't. I can't read re- music very well, a little bit. Um, there's a lot about the theoretical side that I have trouble comprehending intellectually, but... I love how all of it feels, and I have learned to, you know, turn it into the music. So,
0: um, yeah, but with the would harmonize and stuff. You said, all the you know,
1: harmonizing, yeah, like that. Like, yeah, you
0: grew up with the environment. My and-
1: the, these people focused on teaching us all to harmonize. Well, in my family, there were five kids, and we were we're all musicians, and um, we would on like. Family vacations, we would be driving along and we would start singing the entire uh, soundtrack to something like Mar- uh, Mary Poppins or The Sound of Music, the movies that were out at the time. And we had it all broken down, and all seven of us are singing. My parents are singing. And to us, that was just normal because that's what we did at school. That's what they were teaching us at school. Didn't realize that other people weren't getting taught that at school. Because it was right at the time that music was starting to take a dive in education. So, um,
0: so you as a kid thought, like, everybody can, yeah. can do this. <laughs> yeah.
1: So years later, um, and, and I was in some some bands and stuff. And and uh, one band, when I was in uh, late high school and in college, that was our thing, was we were just really good at harmonizing. There were three of us, and people told us we should have been a barbershop quartet, which is about as harmony tight as you can get and um again i just thought that if you sang you did this because i was in choirs and stuff so then i didn't play with anybody for many about 20 years and i moved to the tri-cities and started uh playing and discovered that very few of the people i was playing with could do more than a little bit of ooh and ah in the background for harmony they couldn't come up with a harmony part and um when i got started here it was at a jam session uh that uh with duncan price and when the whole thing was over he uh told me that he'd like to do some more music with me he says your guitar needs some work because i hadn't played in 20 years but he says i haven't heard anybody harmonize like that in years let's go have some fun because he could do it and um and we did. We had a lot, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we had a, a duo act for several years. And then Duncan ran jam sessions. Um, and the, to me, hands down, the best jam session that was ever going on around here was about 20 years ago. So I'm talking old stuff. It's like early 2000s? Yeah, the early 2000s at a place called the Frontier Tavern, which is in Richland on the, the parkade uh, just mm-hmm. off Lee. I think it's a candy store now, but a hundred years ago it was the Richland Meat Market. Literally, it was the butcher shop, mm-hmm. and then it was a a, a pretty skanky tavern. <laughs> and Duncan would do jam sessions from time to time. Well, he set up an every Thursday jam session, and by that time he and I had been playing together for quite a while. We'd been in a couple bands together, and I told him, look, I'm going to be here for every one of these things. But if I'm going to be up here playing with you, then I'm going to call half the songs when we're playing. And when I call them, they're going to be ours. And I really hope you're going to do the same thing because I think that'll make it more interesting. And we had just been writing a whole bunch of stuff. And at first, it was just the two of us. And then uh, Bob Williams, a drummer here in town, Came in and said, "Mind if I set up?" And we're like, "Go for it, man!" So he sets up. Ira Perkins was a a guy who had just moved to town. Uh, He came in and said, "Well, I got—I need something to do. I'm not a bass player, but I've got my son's goofy bass, so I can do that." And he was—it was horrible. We had to put up with him playing that horrible bass for a long time. (laughs) It was—it was was great. So it's—it was the four of us kind of just doing this and then a bunch of our friends started finding out and what i was hoping would happen happened they hadn't heard the music they didn't know the music and we didn't care what they played as long as they did it you know but yeah. their but their effort into it you know at their whatever their level is and so all these people started coming to see what kind of stuff they could lay down on this music that they liked. It wasn't super hard or anything, but they hadn't heard it before. So they were getting a chance to give it their interpretation the first time out or the second time out. And um, we, we had a ball every Thursday night for hours. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was a great jam session um, and then turned for me into a band because uh, Bob, the drummer, the drummer, And then a a guy who had just moved to town, uh, uh, Doug Wagner, he had just moved back to town. He's a sax player. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ira, who was playing bass, but is really a guitar player, I got invited to do a a free gig, but was going to get televised. And I asked if I could bring some friends. And my friend that was hiring me says, well, yeah, as long as they're, no, they're not getting paid. And I assured her that that was painfully obvious to all of us <laughs> musicians. <laughs> and um, we um, we went and just did a lunchtime thing, promo thing for the Cool Desert Nights. There was nobody there. It was in the middle of the day over in John Damn Plaza. But the few people that were there, you know, working it, kept coming up and asking us what the name of the band was and where they could see us. So we thought we'd better put a band together. <laughs> and, and we did. Um, and it was, it was a band called Roma Gosa Blue, which went on in, for quite a long time. But um, it wouldn't have even started if we hadn't been just, just having a place where we, people could play what they were writing, what they were into. And it wasn't just that we played what Duncan and I were writing. We, you know, Somebody else says, come on up here. Let's do this.
0: Let's have some fun. Sometimes, it was kind of like a free open space for like whatever you want to express. Yeah, it was managed. You know, it wasn't that you could just walk up
1: yeah. and, you know, bust out, but it was it was open to everybody and um I remember the night that Doug Wagner came in for the first time. I'm uh standing on one side of the bar next to a sax player who um was a guy that Duncan and I had played with before a lot. And I see this guy walk in. He walks up to the bar, stands looking around with this big grin on his face, and then leaves. And I'm like, okay, I guess it was funny. (laughs) And then a few minutes later, he walks back in, and he sits down at the bar with a a beautiful tenor sax, old, really well-used tenor sax, and he starts playing a duet with the guy over here that I'm standing next to. Wow! Yeah, that turns That's out sitting on the bar. Yeah, and yeah. it turns out they knew each other. They had played together back in the '70s, but they hadn't played together in years. And he just sat down at the bar, and Bob Gustafson's over here. And in the middle of a song that Doug had never heard before, they took off on a duet that just blew everybody's mind wow yeah it was it was beautiful that's crazy yeah so so i i like a good jam session i i get bored easily just i get bored easily um so i like it to be something where i i don't know what's going on it scares me because if i'm playing if i'm playing and you you're you get going on some funk and i'm haven't been able to figure out what you're doing on the bass. And I'm trying to think what I'm going to do on the guitar. I'm not really quick at that. I'm a songwriter, <laughs> you know. Um, but that's where the, the, a lot of the spark is for the songs. Go and play in a, in a jam session, go home, and, and without realizing it, have three songs that have started up. And they may not, one might get written real fast, one might take years, and they'd be totally different but
0: there they are so it's no really a recipe for that it's just like it's basically naturally comes from from everywhere or or unnaturally and you, <laughs> and you kind of like try to manage them sometimes because like i know like i'm i'm not big songwriter but sometimes like i recently wrote this song like it took me like 5 maybe 10 minutes it just like came and I just sit played write it down whole even though i'm not english is my second language even yeah. though that part it was just like Boom, and it's done, you know? Is it, how often does that happen to you? It happens. Um, um,
1: there's a song that I, I was sitting at work with my, in a swivel chair with my back to my desk and computer. I got done talking to whoever I was talking to, and I just spun myself around to back to the, the uh, desk. And by the time I got there, my hands were ready to start typing the song that had just started in my head. Those few seconds, just in those, not even a second, just spinning around, and I suddenly had this song, and I sat there and I typed it out, and five minutes later, it was done. All the lyrics, I never changed anything. Wow. I think I figure I'm going to have to change a lot, you know. Yeah. But I knew what the progression was. I knew exactly what it was that I was going to do with it. In that little moment, and you already
0: just, yeah. heard
1: the whole song. Yeah. It did, the, 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 once I started typing, the lyrics just flowed as if you know they'd been there. And who knows? Maybe I had been thinking about this for a while. I don't know. But then there, their songs um, is one that I started writing when I was in college. And um, for many years, it was just a nice little classical type of, of instrumental on the guitar. And But I always wanted to hear it with cello. And then one night at a little party in L.A., very accomplished cellist happened to be at our house. And I finally was able to convince him to get his damn cello out. (laughs) (laughs) And I got to listen to this song with the cello. and, And now I knew what it sounds like, but it still wasn't done. And then a few years later, there were lyrics that started up. And there were all these lyrics except for this one batch right in the middle had not come to me. And and so this is just going on for years and years. And then my mother-in-law died. And the night before her funeral, I wrote that middle piece.
0: Like perfectly in there.
1: Yeah, because it needed to be in Spanish, it turned out. Because my mother-in-law didn't speak English, and I write. I speak Spanish, and I write in Spanish. And so 17 years after I started it, and many... Uh, Yeah, 17 years after I started writing it, I finally, there it was with lyrics and stuff. And then I recorded it. Um, But I don't know that it's done yet. I think it may have full orchestration to go into. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy.
0: Yeah. So you usually, it's like just some of the like moments of your life come in or is it happen? You know, like when you like everything is study, not really change anything and uh, or if it's the time for like learning other stuff or it's it it's, it has happened
1: okay the most the most important things i think have been relationship changes which makes it sound in in a lot of cases that means that a relationship has ended so it's like downer music and stuff a lot of the very best music has come because of a relationship change. And it might be a relationship change inside music or outside music. So like for outside music, I was in a very important relationship with a woman for several years. And a lot of what I wrote is about that relationship. It's not, it's not voyeuristic or anything. It's just came out of that. Mm-hmm. But one of the, one of the, 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 most important things that happens in doing music period is who you end up meeting and working with and i mentioned the guys that started roma goes blue and along the way we had different people playing it's always hardest to get a bass player we had a guy named mike Hames, who's a, a great funk and metal bass player and of course ira at first and then we had uh 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 Bruce I can't think of see I forgot to write his name down so I can't think of his last name
0: Bruce who like, used to uh, own the like a uh, uh studio or is a different Bruce? No no Bruce the uh Curtin Bruce Curtin Oh okay okay
1: sorry Bruce <laughs> <laughs> I'm having I'm having neurological problems <laughs> um but then Cuco Martinez moved to town and I was ready to be done with the band because Bruce had just quit and I'm like, I I can't keep trying to find bass players, man. And I get a call one night from a, a person that I knew just sort of, and but we'd talked music. And she says, Remember, I told you my nephew plays percussion? Well, he's here in town. He's looking for someplace to jam, somebody to jam with. And I said, Well, yeah, I'll talk to him. But, you know, and she put Kuko on the phone. And I said, Dude, I'd love to jam with you but i don't need i i I really want percussion but i need a bass player and he says well i play bass too and i thought in my head i play bass too but nobody (laughs) wants to listen and and so i go over and he's instantly playing stuff that was i'd either never imagined going on in, in something or just took me back to that preschool time with all of this really cool Latin stuff, and I'm like, God, this is a real Latin musician. We start talking bands, and, it, and it's it's not just a thing where we like some of the same bands. He's played in some of the same bands, wow, <laughs> and and uh, or played with people in the in in these different bands. So at you know at first, he was the the new bass player but after a while he and i started realizing well there's more here and and um, we started spending a lot of time together just working on music not writing music per se but, but just working music and he started making you know change not not saying here change this song the way he played started changing the way that I was doing songs and the way I was writing. Mm -hmm. And then we just started writing. And um, I wrote uh, some with Duncan Price, not a lot, but we, but we influenced each other's music a lot. I've written a lot with my, my good friend, Mark reader who's a guitarist in Richland that is I mean, we've we've done some of the coolest stuff that I think I've been involved in. But Kuko and I are are able to connect at a level that there's nobody else around that I know who I can connect with, because I certainly am not the guy that knows that music well. But Kuko does really well.
0: And you have a good ear, because you I, grew up and listened to yeah, it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, we're going through as much of the stuff that I've written and that Kuko has written, because he's written a, a fair amount and is writing a lot more now. And we're we're changing up songs that we did for years as blues and turning them turning them into salsa or a cha cha or something like that. Just just to have a different version of it. I mean, it'd be nice to to make sure that, you know, it'd be nice for people to hear it. But right at the moment, I just want to make sure my grandchildren can hear it, you know? Because um, especially now that nobody can be around each other, <laughs> I want to make sure that, that, that the music stays around.
0: I just want to explain to the audience about the Cuckoo. So whenever, just give a little bit more information about him. So whenever he go on stage... The whole groove is changed. It's changed them. Everyone started notice that right away. Even oh, yeah. though they not listen to music if they are just talking. And whenever, you know, like musicians switch, even sometimes when music not stop, people start even move differently. Like if they yeah. stop talking, they just like, hey, what what changed? Even though not understanding that. And they're like the way, what kind of groove he brings, it's like, it's insane. I love, even though like I'm a bass player and I like play bass, but whenever I see the Kuka around and he's just like, I'm like oh, here you go, Kuka. Can you play that one? <laughs> I would rather play guitar or something. And I when I play guitar with him, it's just like, it's like a butter. It's just like, yeah. you just sit in there and just like, you don't need, even need to do anything.
1: I crack up a lot when when we're actually playing together. We, we do a lot of multi-track recording, so we don't end up playing together at the same time. But when we do, I crack up a lot, because I just forget, even as long as we've been doing this, I forget that experience until it starts, and I just like, oh, there there's that groove, there it is, yeah,
0: yeah, that's- in- that's I think that's insane. And um,
1: the funny thing is that, um, when he moved here and started playing bass with me, he didn't bother to tell me he hadn't played bass for fifteen years. He had been playing percussion for down in LA, and um, so he was rusty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I get to to do all this recording that that we're that we're doing. Kuko um, does all this percussion, although once in a while I play a, a clave, um, and we trade off on bass now because I actually have learned to play bass. Thank you, Foucault. <laughs> and um, so it, the the dynamics of it, it's like the two people make this huge band because we can just keep putting the parts on. It's, it's really a lot of fun. It's really good music. I mean, it's, there's a lot of good music. So if I say so myself, and I do, so... <laughs>
0: So let's go back to the to the Gem Nights. Yes. Whenever, uh, like, that was one of the first we'll start uh, with Duncan Price yeah. here in in, in in town.
1: Yeah, that's one of the early ones that I was involved in. And then it moved over to Dax's and and went for a long time at, at Dax's Bar on Lee. Where's that? Dax's? Uh, on, on Lee Boulevard, uh, across from Atomic Ale. Um, I don't know where's the Lee Boulevard, but... Okay, well, it's just when you... Go on to Lee Boulevard off of GW. It's mm-hmm. it's a couple blocks in on the right. Uh, and they had a jam session for a long time. Uh, Von Jensen took that over. And then uh, that eventually moved to, uh, what's the name of that bar? Thunder, Thunder River, I think. Yeah, anyway, they, it, it, they've moved around. Nothing's happening right now. But um, the one that got me going uh, on a regular basis again for the first time in years Was uh, the one out in West Richland uh, that started up last year? Sometime that was a lot of reggae and funk because I need to learn how to play that. And um, it was it was I looked so I looked forward to it every week so much that when COVID hit, I was really really not happy. That was that was like the first thing I had been looking forward to in a long time.
0: Yeah, there's a great gem. There's great gem started by. Uh, and then 90 Pine band, yeah, band yeah. which is like a uh, Kyle Guerrilla, the drummer and founder of the music school yeah. uh, here. And he was played drums. And then Randy, Barefoot Randy uh, was a host. Uh, he played that. Then a lot of great musicians, like a Neeser guitar player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Seth Guerrilla, which is um, Kyle's Kyle brother.
1: That, Steve Kuko. That Kuko guy, yeah. Justin killing.
0: Chapman, the <laughs> bass player. Dara. Queen. So there was a, a like Billy. like yeah, Billy. Yeah. There was the a lot of like a great musician yeah. come in one spot. And they're like, it's I remember when I first got there right in the beginning, and there was like a kind of teeny tiny small bar. And you like, ah oh, it's kind of, but then like people make the place like yeah. huge because it's like the music what comes what you feel on stage and off the stage. It's yeah. sometimes you just go in there just. You know, a lot of musicians want to go there and play music, but most of the time I just go there to listen because there are like so many great people like making great music. I would like I would rather sit and just like listen.
1: <laughs> it's really a trip to to go into a a jam session with a bunch of people who are roughly, you know, the same level but play really different styles um and see what they do. Cuz one of the things that's interesting is finding out that that this country guy over here that you only ever hear playing country is a really accomplished heavy metal guitarist or and and throws that metal into some funk groove that's going on and it totally changes with the feel of it and it takes it in a really cool direction i'm not into metal but once in a while it's exactly what you want yeah. and especially if it's a good country guy playing <laughs> you know it's weird the way that'll that'll work kuko like he said always has this groove that he puts in but he had to learn to play a totally different style that he had not played before when he joined the band because i'm at root in terms of my writing i'm basically a folk singer you know folk music guy Mm -hmm. and that's not what he played and so there were things that that I've written that he would listen to and just like, what in the world are you doing on this? Because he didn't it was the the rhythm didn't make sense. And I'm like, how can a rhythm not make sense to a Cuban? <laughs> but you know, it's the difference on what you grow up around. And, and then he hadn't done country. I've never been into, into country. Well. Right now, Kuko is the drummer, and I'm the bass player for kind of a country pop trio, and we're writing country, <laughs> and we're having fun. Kuko writes country now in English. I mean, it's really fun. It's 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 it going to be out soon, or is it already out? We've got out? we've got a CD that that is pretty much done. We just don't have a release plan yet, but yeah, okay, whenever
0: this came out, so I can attach the links for so people okay, can check yeah, it
1: out. Yeah. Um, yeah i'm i that's one thing that I would say to anybody who's doing this stuff it's really cool that that anybody can record but the reality is that it isn't that simple and there are things that for instance that I'm good at and things that I'm terrible at at when it comes to the technology part of it it's worth learning how to do it my one of my problems i serious i i'm having memory problems so learning isn't a big strong point at the moment and so i'm having trouble getting the finishing done on stuff um because every time i talk to musicians and ask them okay nobody's doing cds now what are people doing to release music and they all look at me with a big smile on their face and say i don't know i'm not putting anything out <laughs> so um Nothing, everything's really unstable when it comes to to how things are produced and released and stuff. And so any of you young people out there that think you're ever going to have
0: influence, stabilize this stuff, please, so I can get done. There was a lot of already the great platforms to do that. What's other thing? It's what I've noticed. I'm not sure if you have problem with that. You know, like. For instance, if you have a like compared to like a football match or soccer match or anything, they have a time, right? In the the end, you have a finish, you have a final whistle and you like, and you feel something end, like a final. You feel something win or someone lose. You have some emotion and it's done. Yeah. With music, when you create music and you never get that feeling like, oh, it's done. (laughs) And you're like happy going somewhere. It's just like, you're like doing like, like. Final version 1, final version 2, yeah. final version 18. And he's still like editing <laughs> some stuff. So like one of the dude who like create the, the Patreon content mm-hmm. is like a... It's another story, but the, his name is Jack Conte. And that guy is... I watched in his video the other day about how he like... Okay, so he said is like work to publish. So the whole different mentality as a creator, but you like thing as a publisher yeah. so like okay if it's like 85% done you like it of course you still can find something where like it's not perfect yeah or oh, it's yeah, not yeah, done. yeah yeah if it's 85% done whatever yeah. you just post it because a lot of stuff he mentioned like I'm working on the album for like a half a year and it's and I like go every detail I spend five days on just adjusting yeah. the kick drum and then in the end is like I sold less than 200 copies. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then like other stuff I make for a day and there's like a million views on that one. So like work to publish. Do you work do you struggle book. with that type of like what are uh, you thinking it's accomplished? Or are you still adding stuff? I haven't finished anything in my life
1: ever. <laughs> it's a, it's a huge problem for me. I I was um I was in uh, academia for a long a fair amount of time. I uh taught and realized that I was going to be running into the eternal problem of I'm almost done with this book. I'm almost done writing this article. I'm almost done. Um, And I was also selling academic books at the time and realized I was making more money selling to the professors than I was going to make as a professor. So I got out of that. But yeah, there's a big problem for creative people it's never done it. And, and even a song like the one that I told you that just wrote itself so fast. Yeah. It was done being written, but it, I hadn't ever heard it and I didn't know exactly how I wanted the bass to go. And I didn't know this and that and the other. And so we, the band recorded it on uh, our first CD before Google was in the band. And now Almost 20 years later, we're going to record it again because it's not done. We have more to do. For one thing, it hasn't been done in Spanish. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so uh, there's, there's that. But you, you said a, a word that I think is really important. I get asked all the time, how do I protect my music? And it's really simple. You put a C and a circle around it in your name, and it's now copyrighted. That's the law. It ain't protected, though. You've got to own the publishing rights, which means you've got to own a publishing company, which sounds bigger than it is. All it means is that you come up with a name for the business, and you become the person who controls everything to do with publishing your music. Are you going to make anything? Well, the odds are you're not going to make anything no matter what. I've written a lot of good music and, and, you know, I've played a lot of nice, you know, some fun shows and a couple of really, really good shows. And I'm never going to make any money as a musician. I do it because I kind of, it's who I am. But if you are going to make money at it, you've got to own your own publishing. You've got to control the publishing. Every, all the musicians that were getting ripped off when I was a kid, from the Beatles on to everybody else, it's because they didn't control the publishing. And it's the same today as it always has been. It's one thing to copyright your music. It's real easy. You just have to date it and copyright. Just write that it's copyrighted. You can register with the Library of Congress if you want to spend that kind of money. But it's actually protected by just the, the writing the copyright. It's owning the publishing rights that you really need to be careful about.
0: Yeah, that's like that they will with music business, they've been struggling with that. And yeah. also like with the like session musicians. So yeah. people who like help to create amazing context without, for instance, like amazing musician, they without he bass line or something. Maybe that song wasn't gonna be successful. But yeah. he like, it's your five hundred bucks, okay. And he then they make million and musicians kind of who like create basically the product, they just like out of bounds. You yeah, know?
1: yeah. Um, Kuko and I were talking about this the other day. Um, when when does a song that I've written become a song that we've written? Well, obviously, if we did it all together, then it's a song we've written. But there are songs that I wrote, and then years later brought out, but Kuko's name is on them, and I go. You know, I put them on in the my computer. I have all that stuff. And I have to think back, what was it that happened that Kuko's name went onto this? Because it might be something really subtle. It might be one word, but one word can change everything in a song. Um, I have a song uh, that I did um, just as a straight folk song kind of a thing. And Mark Reeder and I were sitting around playing one day. And we were done with the song, and I was turning equipment off, and he started playing the song we had just been doing, reggae. And he doesn't play reggae. It's, not, it's just not his thing, but he just, he just started doing this, this thing with the guitar. And I was stunned, and I turned all the equipment back on so that we could get a basic thing and not forget it. And Mark's name went on to the song for that version because that version wouldn't exist. And, and actually it's the only version that's fully recorded yet. (laughs) Um, But it wouldn't exist without that contribution. But I know that a lot of people have exactly, you know, it's exactly what you say, the baseline that is the baseline that, that somebody came up with because they knew that the baseline wasn't going to work, but nobody ever gets credit for that baseline. And yeah, they, probably
0: should. I hope I hope they're going to like change it in the future and uh, like Oh, do not music- count on that. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you know, the musician's going to be treated way better cuz they still have a business. I mean, how everyone said like maybe in 20 30 years it's big huge label not going to exist anymore. I'm not sure how they're going to work, but really like home studios and the quality of the home studios it's getting way more higher so oh, yeah. people can post it and just make it at home. It's not like Forty years ago, you need to have like connections. You need to have like money. You need to know what's going on. It's like whole yeah, deal. You know? But now you have to understand
1: this whole other layer on the technological side. I understand. I understand writing music and playing music, and I understand recording music, being the guy playing and recording. I what was really really hard for me and took. M- literally many many years was to be the guy pushing the button before the start the playing started because that's a whole different world i'm thinking about a whole different batch of things over here and i don't well you, you know i i play guitars and sing and played harmonicas and i don't do anything with with um synthesizers and stuff like that so I'm having to go from pressing the button to be standing with my guitar at the right distance from a microphone and start at the right time. Yeah. And um, and that just drove me crazy for a long time. I'm significantly crazy enough that I can do it now. But um, but I'm not a tech guy, so it's, that's the part that's hard for me. Usually. But I just go and find people like you and say, hey, how do you do this? <laughs>
0: so thank goodness. <laughs> So what would you uh, what's your thought on um uh, how you feel about the <coughs> like an, our like my generation and younger musician who just come up with they grew up with already have like that all the technology and for them it's like seems like casual. Oh. What they so my thought, what they missing, what they would need to improve on from your perspective? Well first of all, I know a
1: fair number of people in your generation who are like you. And all you're missing is the rest of the years you're going to be doing all this and having fun yeah I mean you're, you, you I think you you have a lot going on with it. What I find frustrating is um, the people it's easy to just rely on the technology and so I see these ads on YouTube, which I watch way too much but where this this guy puts a a thing on and it's you know some some beat and some progression and he's acting like he just created it even though he's sitting there freely saying yeah you just press this button and here it is and i'm like you know i know a guy who knows how to press those buttons really really well and then he knows what to do i'm talking about dan who is got all these synthesizers around him he's got all this stuff where he's just you know he's Pressing a button and making something happen. But he knows what it is that's happening. And he's gonna chase what's gonna what what he's gonna bring out of it. And um I think a lot of it's it's easy to be satisfied with, oh, that's a really cool sounding beat. Well, what are you gonna do with it? What's you know, what's your idea? Do you have do you have poetry to go with that do you have lyrics do you have a a a good a guitar line that'll go with that no i
0: just it just
1: sounds good good, so i just you know well get creative you know and i'm it, it takes something to identify those things now go that next step and put something into it um but fortunately there's so much on the technical side that um it works well for learning i mean the number of people you can watch on youtube to learn how to play whatever song you want to learn how to play cuz somebody's done it right or wrong um right up to uh being able to to watch um and again, I'm gonna I can't think of his name. With um, one of my favorite bass players from the '70s, he was. He played with everybody, and um, and he just sits there and shows you how he played the the bass line on these songs. And it's like, oh, that's all. <laughs> what? That's easier than it sounds, you know. Um, um, Lee Sklar. is Leland Sklar is who I'm, the bass player I'm talking about. Real long beard mm-hmm. and just great. Uh you can listen to these guys and watch these guys and I say guys, women. Uh Kuko introduced me to one of those great bass players from the sessions in LA, whose name again I can't remember, but the a woman that from sixties when yeah, she played yeah,
0: with yeah, the 5-1 yeah, with the pig. Yeah. I know who you're talking yeah, about.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's my music, you know. Um and and I loved I loved that stuff. I didn't know who she was. Man, I'll watch her all day. She schools you on how to play. And she schools you on on on, on how to tell what's not worth doing. Because it's if it's not worth doing, it's not worth doing. You'll <laughs> get on to the next thing. I love that stuff. So um, and and those are interviews from the 80s and stuff. So there's all this uh, uh material that's available. Um, the other thing that I'd say is if you are going to write lyrics, read. Or if you're not a reader, because not everybody's a reader, I am, but not everybody is, do whatever it is. Get literature into you however you get it. Do you get it from movies? Then watch good movies with good writing. Do you get it from TV? Watch good TV with good writing. Spread it out. Look at. Don't just look at your favorite thing from the 2000s. Watch every episode of The Twilight Zone. You're not going to like them all. Who cares? It's the writing. See what this guy, what these people did with fantasy and a low budget. They make classic television. You're making classic music. It's the same thing. I, I lived in LA for a long time and I ran a bookstore and I had a customer who was the former stepmother of a, an extremely prominent movie maker. I mean everybody knows the guy's name. And I said, you know, I really like a lot of what your your uh, stepson does, but technically I like it. But he's not that good of a storyteller. And she says, "Oh, I know. I tell him all this time. <laughs> you are illiterate." <laughs> and I'm like, "Whoa, you're talking about him. This is one of the gods. But you have to be he got more literate by the way. Um, but you have to be exposing yourself to ways of telling stories. And the other thing to remember is that, uh, and I learned this from John Lennon. It's one of the last things he said in in his last interview before he was murdered was you may think you're writing a song about or for somebody else or to somebody else. And he was talking about some of the nasty crap he had written to Paul McCartney. And he says, but then you realize, nope. That was to me. <laughs> Ultimately, if you paint a picture, it's a picture of you, no matter what you're painting the picture of, because you are controlling it. If you're writing a song, it's a song about you in some sense, no matter who it's about. Learn how to 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 understand that literary process it makes songwriting a lot easier. That's a great answer. Here's the other One of the cool things for me about working with Kuko is Kuko's father was one of the top jazz bass players in Cuba in the 50s. I mean, one of the top two. And when my parents' favorite singer, Nat King Cole, would go to Cuba, Kuko's dad was his bass player. Wow. Nat King Cole was like the biggest one of the biggest things in american entertainment first first black man to have uh his own uh, enter, uh variety entertainment tv show um just if you have if you don't know Nat King Cole get to know his voice he's just it's beautiful beautiful voice and a great writer and um he would go to cuba and sing in spanish he had this thick thick accent and they all the cubans would sing along with him in his accent
0: because
1: wow. they just loved him so much. Now, I didn't know any of this stuff until a few years ago. I was watching uh, a DVD about Nat King Cole, and they start talking. I knew he had gone to Cuba. I knew that Cuba's dad played with him. These people were gushing. They would take the day off from work to go to the airport to greet him. Wow. And... Then they would go, you know, to the club and all this stuff. And in the middle of this video, there's a still photograph of the orchestra. And there's Kuko's dad standing there with a stand-up bass. Looks just like Kuko.
0: And I'm just like, oh, man. (laughs) And I get to play with him. (laughs) Yeah, and remember that story when you mentioned, like, when you went to L.A. to some bars, like a big, huge salsa (laughs) bar. We went to, to L.A.,
1: to see what was happening and it was back shortly after the housing crisis in 2008. So nothing was happening, Mm -hmm. but, um, we went to this, this big, big salsa bar in uh, Irvine and I don't know any of this stuff. When I lived in LA, I was in graduate school and teaching and doing all kinds of stuff. I didn't go out to listen to music. So I didn't know any of these places. So we go to this huge place and, um, a, a guy has been in doing the teaching people how to do salsa dancing before the night gets started. Mm -hmm. And this guy's clearly a really good dancer, you know, and then Kuko and I are outside and he comes walking out and he sees Kuko and he runs over and he grabs Kuko and he, you know, hugs him and lifts him up. And he's a lot smaller than Kuko. And he lifts him up and he's, Kuko, are you back? No, nah, man, I'm just down for a couple of weeks. Oh, man. Oh. And later I asked I Kuko, ask who is that guy? He says, well, he leads the dance stuff here, but that's just when he's not out on tour with Madonna or Janet Jackson. Well. Two of the most important dance acts out there. Those are the people that Kuko was playing. He wasn't playing with Madonna, but he was playing with that level of people down in L.A. all the time. And everywhere we went...
0: As a percussionist.
1: As a percussionist, yeah. And everywhere we went, uh, the last night I was there, uh, we went to a place in Glendale, and the guy that was playing congas, when he realized who Kuko was, he simply stopped at the break and said, the congas are yours. Your father played with my father. Wow. And it was, you know, it's just that kind of a of, of an atmosphere in, in music. Um, we went to, uh, on that same day, we'd gone to Long Beach to a salsa bar, a restaurant, and some friends of Kuko's had just started a new band. And they were okay, but they had just started. And then Kuko sat down at the Conga. And these two guys who... Had played with Kukol, kind of looked at the rest of this band that really was just getting started, and said, "Just try to keep up." (laughs) (laughs) And they started, they started playing. It was just, it was just magic. The funny thing was that (laughs) Kukol kept asking if he and I could play something, and they were like, "Well, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to play your." Favorite version of La Bamba or something, and little do they know that I have a really good version of. It. Anyway, um, they finally agreed to let us get up and play something, and all these Cubans and other Latinos were sitting over at these tables, just kind of talking, and they liked cuckoo, but I was this non thing yet because you know. And then we started playing, and our backs were to them. But in the middle of this song that we were playing, I was able to turn and look and all of them had gotten up and they were all standing behind kuko with these big grins on their face because, well, no, we didn't come here to play you a lot, bomb but we came to play our music <laughs> and this is our music. And it's, we, it's, it's fun music. It's good Latin, a lot of, a lot of different influences and in all of it, which I think is the most fun. I mean, that's, that's what's fun when, when, when the few times you and I have jammed together, Mm -hmm. what I really like, especially because there are always far better guitar players than I am. But what I like to do is find that second bass part
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and just go ahead and and have that second bass part. Because to me, that just changes everything. And then if you decide, oh, well, bye. And you're going to take off. Well, there's still there's still an anchor going on. If I decide to do something, I'm already doing it. I yeah. just got to turn up and go. Um but I'm almost always looking for the alternate line that isn't the same style as what you're playing. If you're playing funk, I'm going to look for something a little
0: and also give like a little di- like a different flavor yeah so it's brings everyone even play a little differently yeah it's just a one part just one thing but they just change the whole yeah. like you know like motion yeah and th- that's what I like about the gym because sometimes you would if you create in your bedroom and play your music and you like think it's awesome and you like go through it but whenever like nothing gonna be compared it's totally different when it's happened on stage on a with like on jam yeah. night with the great musicians. Yeah, yeah. Those are like, those are like as like kind of another advice from whoever want to learn to play music. Is just just go to local jam nights and just Good. try to play it.
1: And 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 if you're gonna do a band thing, learn to rehearse. Learn that rehearsing is never as much fun as as playing out on stage, with a few exceptions. Because once in a while, you're in a rehearsal and everything just goes. Great and you're wishing you were on stage. But you're in the rehearsal to get all this stuff down so that when you're on stage, you're free to go ahead and have your fun and make that little change that that nobody had done in rehearsal because nobody had felt it, but now you're feeling it, and nobody's gonna get thrown off because everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, it's worth the effort, it's worth the time. Um, and it's worth learning to do something different. I, I didn't play bass till I was 60.
0: I sucked at it. I just, and, and that's wh- how I met, I think that's how I first time met you. I remember I went to the Whiskey River at some bar in, yeah. in Richland when they have also the Gem Nights over there. That's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. Yeah. It's like with Von Jen, uh, Va- Jensen. Yeah. yeah. And I remember I was sitting on the bar and I listened, like, wow. I, I didn't like look what's going on on the stage because there was packed over there. And I just go through the bar to get a beer or so and just like, I like, wow, that's so groovy. And I just like, who's playing bass? And I like, turn around and they're like, I cannot find the bass guitar. And yeah, they're like, yeah. what's, what's <laughs> like, what what happened? And I see like Steve, like playing the little uke bass and it sounds super thick and like groovy. And I'm like, wow. And I just like forget about the bar and just start listening. and like, hold these guys, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I
1: can't, I have a injury to my neck and shoulder. So reaching is really hard. So playing a normal size bass it's too heavy and it's too far to reach. And I had given up on it. And then I ran across that bass uke and it's like, well, at least I can, you know, find find the lines that I like because I, I have a lot of good bass lines in my head. And then I started being able to do them after a long time. <laughs> it took me a long time. For
0: me, it was like uh, the cool part of I mean, like, like Steve like when he playing he like also playing I mean playing bass and harmonized like back vocal it's the most hardest part in the world <laughs> what you can even imagine but he like do that like crazy harmonies and then playing bass with the different rhythmics it's like wow how, how that how that works you know
1: that's one thing that that Kuko when we really started writing together uh, been a little over 10 years ago really f- focusing on it one of the first things that he'd did to me to me was he said play this and he just wanted me to play dun, 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 which sounds all nice except he wanted it on the off beat and in between mm-hmm. but he wanted but he wanted me to sing on the on onbeat well, what do you want me to sing I don't know you got to make that up and I'm like whoa so I had I I'm I was trying to figure out how to even play this it's The whole song, the guitar is just doing one rhythm, all, all chords. It's always the same. And it's always totally different than what the vocal is doing. Um, and I just didn't know that I was going to be able to do it. So I went home and I wrote the lyrics. And I fleshed out the how the progression would finally be um, and went back. And said, "Take this," and I started playing. I could do it, and I I never had a problem doing it, but I can't figure out how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I then I had to learn the bass part to to try to do it, do that too. And those are good challenges. All those things, w- whether you end up being a bass player or not, get a cheap bass. I mean, you can get a cheap acoustic bass for two hundred fifty bucks. That's short scale. That's cheaper than the Uke was. Um, right now, my favorite recording bass is a, a $300 Ibanez five-string bass. It just records really, really well. Um, and a lot of times, I will play a bass line, and then I'll tell Kuko, okay, I need you to you know put the real bass line on. And sometimes he'll kind of laugh and what he does just makes me go oh man i'm glad you're here and other times he'll say why do you need me to put something on and then those are the times that i'm like wow
0: good (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay so it's gonna be um so right now i want to ask you a couple like a it's gonna be just a two question for a quest they were gonna be kind of a short but (laughs) some of it might be a little weird but it is what it is i'm a little little weird as well i'm
1: I'm not. I'm a lot weird. So.
0: So first question if you have a chance to hang out with one person from whole history, doesn't matter, musician, non-musician, who it would be and why. Wow, that's a good question. Um the
1: first person right now that comes to my mind is Albert Einstein, and I'm not sure why. Um I just think he would be a kick to hang out with and try to <laughs> try to, you know, just understand how he would think. Um, but another, uh, there's another person that I would really like to be able to spend time with. And that's, uh, I mentioned before the, the twilight zone Rod Serling was the guy that created the twilight zone. And, um, he was just a fascinatingly interesting man. And I just recently ran into a bunch of lectures and mm-hmm. interviews with him and it, I'm like, whoa, I've been missing this stuff. Cause I've always loved his stuff and <clears throat> brilliant guy so those are the two that come to mind right now
0: okay that's a great answer um and last one it's like i said it's kind of i'm not sure if it's like a it's simple but at the same time not um why do you play music i don't know how not to um
1: one time my daughter was my daughter went to school down in LA <clears throat> and i went down when she was graduating and a few weeks before she graduated i went down for a, a, <clears throat> one of the special events and we went to a um a political type of of rally over in east LA and it was a parade that we walked in and it was a protest of sorts but it was it was the kind that you like to be at because people are supporting something good. Anyway, one of her friends asked her, well, why do you think you have to do those things all the time? And she just looked at him. and she said, I don't think I have to. It's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) And, and she told me that. And, and I thought, you know, that's, those are the best things are the things that we do just because we do just who I am. It's what I do. Um, somehow my my grandfather was a professional musician and um boy the concentration of that gene just was huge in my individual family and um we all ended up being musicians it's just what we do my sisters truly don't know how good they are they're some of the best singers i've ever Ever sung with, and they don't know it because they didn't go on and do a bunch of stuff with people.
0: They just assume everybody does it. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> it's like one of my uh, uh, classmates from university. His younger brother. He's like super, super talented. His name is so my friend is called Dennis. Uh, his name Dennis, and his brother is uh, Kirill Kirill Khrenov. So this guy is like, uh, uh, he finished the college and went to. Uh, finished the like music college. So he played accordion like professionally. Oh, nice. And then he went decided to be a sound engineer. And he like, and then he asked him like, he went to, because his older brother worked at the studio. So he got to him and like, I got scared today. He's like, Hey, what happened? And like, I just, I really, I just look at the like, like journalists and other people. And then like, they're not doing music. They're not playing music. And I was like, what would I do if I would not play music? <laughs> and he like really got scared and yeah. he's like i don't know how to live without
1: it when I, I i still write but i went through a period of of several years where i was writing constantly and usually at least two or three times th- two or three songs at a time and and it might be over the stretch over the course of a month or two months or something and then i they would get finished and I would start another batch, but there was often a period of time, a short period of time where I wasn't writing and I would panic every time. I, Is it over? Do I not have any more? Am I, am, am I done? I, I don't want to be done. You know, and it's not, Oh, I have so much to say. It's, it's no, no, come on. Use me. <laughs> you know, Cause, cause it it's it's a there's a certain amount of of it that's very irrational and very emotionally you know it's just emotionally stimulating so it's like oh come on I want to do this so
0: it's fun great and i so it's probably going to be so we go until the end and i really really appreciated that time we used to find it and spend time sure for this uh, interview i think it's going to be the whole thing is for me like the Local music heroes is like people in the future should know uh, names. What we mentioned today, and th- they might change their like perspective on yeah. some stuff.
1: I, that's one of the things that I was thinking about bef- before. Do you mind if I say? A yeah, little of more? course. Yeah. You don't know who you're around when when you're around them for the most part. I didn't know that my friend Joyce Eilers was going to become this big choral composer. And and I mean, she became really important in the world of choral music. Not very many people care about that, but I do, <laughs> you know, and, and she was, she was, uh, she was very important. Um, then I moved here. And to me, I, I mean, I'm just moving to the desert in, in Eastern Washington. What is there here? And get here and find out, well, the best jazz guitar instructor in the world was here, John LaChapelle. Mm-hmm. Because of that, there are a whole bunch of really, really good guitar players in this town who don't play out ever, but they were his students. In fact, Mark Reeder uh, was his last student. and And you don't know who's around. Go find out. You might find out that That this guy that's over here playing percussion, you know, really knows how to play percussion, really has been trained. Or maybe they got absolutely no training and you just like the groove.